It's great to be here with you this morning. It's hard to believe we're uh, just under two weeks into 2020, a whole new decade. And uh, as I've been thinking about 2020, uh, in my mind, it constantly brings me back to vision, uh, thinking of 2020 vision, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, you've got 2020 vision. And, and, and uh, as I've thought about that, I thought about our series that we're kicking off this weekend, uh, The Journey. We're going to be really looking at God's vision for believers or his, uh, his desire for each and every one of us as we walk with Christ. Uh, and, and I like the term journey. I really do believe that God calls us to be on journey uh, with him. Now, now here's the reality. Uh, he doesn't usually uh, tell us the steps on that journey. In other words, we don't see a, a full view of the journey ahead of time. But he's so faithful to equip us for the journey, isn't he? He equips us for it. Now, when I thought about the journey, I thought how interesting it is that, that, that those who come to faith in Christ oftentimes stall at the term believe. They, they believe in Christ, but his idea of following Christ on the journey isn't something that every believer necessarily understands or walks in. I was thinking of one of my favorite quotes in, in Tolkien's uh, the, the Lord of the Rings. How many of you have read or watched The Lord of the Rings? Well, that's great. Last night it was four, so that's great. I'm in, I'm in good company today. Uh, the Lord of the Rings, uh, where Gandalf is talking to Frodo. He's trying to coax him to go on this journey. And so he borrows words from Frodo's uncle, Bilbo, and he says, it's a dangerous business going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept up to. And that's the truth. Uh, every day we head out in, on a journey, either a journey with Christ where he promises peace and power or a journey of our own making where uh, usually we, we walk a path of empty promises. And, and God has so much more for us. So as we look at this series, The Journey, we're going to really be looking at Crosswind's discipleship journey, discipleship pathway, and, and understanding that every single person's walk with God is somewhat unique. And yet we believe there's at least four crucial steps that are very similar. For instance, as, as we as a church are called to reach people to love the message of Jesus Christ, it's for the purpose that people will believe. But they'll put their, their, their whole faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. And as they believe, we as a church are called to, to raise them up, to, to raise each other up. And to the knowledge of what it means to become and belong, to belong to God in his church and to become the person that God's called us to be. And, and then we're, we're called as a church to release each other to bless others with the blessings we've received from God. And so here at Crosswinds, we, we really believe in those three B words, you know, to believe and belong and become and bless. And, and we feel very called to, to reach and, and to raise and, and release believers. So this week, we're gonna start with the very first step, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to, to reach others with the love and message of Jesus Christ? And, and to come to a greater understanding of that, we're gonna look at a very familiar Bible story. We're gonna look at Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bibles or your phones, you're gonna follow along. Luke chapter 19, we're gonna look at an account between Jesus and a man named Zacchaeus. Now, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. <laughs> But he's so much more. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 19, the first couple of verses there. We read this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Jericho. Jesus is on his way to the Passover. And this is his last sort of significant stop 
before he gets there. He's traveling with a group from Galilee. He's the hero of this group. And we're told he passes through Jericho, which is about 10 miles north, northeast of, of Jerusalem. Jericho's famous for this amazing miracle that we sang of even this morning, where the people of God walk around the city and the walls came tumbling down. And yet we're going to find that, that although that was certainly a miracle, it wasn't the only miracle done in Jericho. Because there's a miracle done in this man's life, Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus, his name, by the way, means pure or innocent. Which is sort of interesting, as you're going to see in just a moment. We'll get back to that. He's a chief tax collector. Now, you need to understand, historically, even to this day, tax collectors have not been popular people. Like, you know, they, they rank up there of going to the dentist. You know what I'm saying? And, and even though there, there may be people in our culture who act like they, they like paying taxes, no one really does. And in the days of the Romans, this was even more so. Because, because tax collectors were, were looked upon by their fellow Jews as traitors because they were working for the Roman oppressors. And the way many of them made extra money was by charging more than the tax the Romans were requiring. So if you were supposed to be 100 bucks, they would charge you $120 and pocket to 20. How many of you can understand why they weren't so popular? Now, Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector. He's what? A chief tax collector. Like he's overseeing other tax collectors. And we know that the only way they got that job was by bidding for it. They paid for it. Now, how do you think they recuperated the money they got to, for the job? Yeah, by ripping people off. And Jericho was a border city. And so there, were, there was taxes on the goods that came in and out of, out of, out of Israel. And so we, we know this, that, that Zacchaeus could have been rich anyway, but the position itself paid really well. But we will find out in the story that he really did cheat people. And so he's not popular. But then we read this, verses 3 through 4. Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was a small man in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Let me say this. Many of the accounts of Jesus happen when he's on the way somewhere else. Do you notice that? Now, this is a challenge to my temperament. If you're wired like me, I have an objective for almost everything. Like I have a plan for rest. You know what I'm saying? Like when I have a day off, I like to have a plan on what I'm doing on my day off. That's just who I am. When I go shopping, I have an objective. Anyone like that? Like I'm not successful unless I go in and can come out as quickly as possible with that thing I want. Very different than my wife who can spend three hours in TJ Maxx and come out with nothing and feel like she succeeded. We all have different temperaments. And so it's good for me to see that Jesus did much of his ministry, it appears, on the way somewhere else. He noticed people. He, he didn't allow his objective to make him impersonal. And I've found that when I say, Lord, please give me your eyes and ears. Help me, help me have your pace. But he opens doors for me to, to minister to people in places like gas stations and Wegmans and, and other places. When I'm in my objective mode, which isn't all bad, by the way, it's really easy for me just to walk on by. Many a friend has said, I waved to you on the road and you didn't wave back. 
Now, first of all, I thought, why are you waving you know, at me on the road? You should be keeping your eyes on the road. But the reality of it is I just didn't notice them because I had an objective to get someplace. Jesus was on the way somewhere, and here's Zacchaeus wanting to see Jesus. He does two things that are very uncommon in his day. The first thing we're told is that he ran. And in the day of Zacchaeus, the run was undignified for a guy. You only ran if you're running for your life or in battle. In fact, many a time I thought that's the era I should have been born in because then I could tell people I don't run because it just isn't dignified. You know what I'm saying? The second thing he did was climb a tree. Both things that a man in that day wouldn't have done, but a child would. And I wonder if when, when Luke was organizing his stories for the gospel he wrote, if he didn't do that one on purpose, he didn't say, I got to put Zacchaeus after this because in the chapter before, chapter 18, Luke tells us that Jesus said, unless people become like little children, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Zacchaeus, who had this high position, lets down his guard, lets down his pride to see Jesus. How many of us, let's be honest, allow our pride to get in the way of seeing Jesus? Allow our, our, our dignity, if you will, to get in the way of seeing Jesus. And then I love this, verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. It, it's interesting. We, we, we start off the account with seeing Zacchaeus wanting to see Jesus, and yet it's Jesus who spots Zacchaeus. And he says, I must come to your house today. And it just sort of shows this divine necessity of this divine appointment of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus not only desired to bring salvation to Zacchaeus' house, but he broke cultural norms to do so himself. Zacchaeus did some things that startled some people, but so did Jesus. See, in that day, you didn't invite yourself to someone else's house. Now, by the way, that's sort of true today. Like if I came up to you after this service and said, hey, do you have any lunch going at home? And you were to say, yeah, and it sounded good to me. I said, great, I'm coming over. You'd say, that's a little rude, you know, especially when you saw how much I eat. That's a little rude. <laughs> and it was true in Jesus' day. It just wasn't something that was commonly done. And you certainly didn't do it to a sinner like a tax collector. See, devout Jews felt that the sin of others could rub off on themselves and, 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 there's, and they saw tax collectors as not just sinners again, but as traitors. They saw them as some of the worst sinners among them because they worked for these oppressors, the Romans, and you just didn't do that unless you're God. <laughs> then you do what you want. And Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. And I just think about it for a minute. Zacchaeus had been seeking... <laughs> But now he's found. Let me give a special word about our reaching people with the love and message of Jesus Christ. We reach people with the love and message of Christ when we eagerly spend time with them in settings where they're comfortable. Let me just get real practical. Don't be surprised when you invite someone to come to a worship service and they don't come. Now, by the way, more will come when you invite them than if you don't. I'll let you think about that for a minute. But understand this, if you really want to reach people with the love and message of Jesus Christ, you need to go and spend time with them on their turf. Jesus understood that. He exemplified that. Notice Zacchaeus' response, verse 6. Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. That word joyfully in, in, in Luke's gospel is very important because nine other times it's used in connection with someone coming to faith in Christ. 
And here we get the picture that something is happening very redemptive in the life of Zacchaeus, that he's coming to know Christ in a salvific way. And it really begs a question that's been asked for many, many, many years. Did Zacchaeus choose Jesus or did Jesus choose Zacchaeus? I mean, I think that's a great question. Who chose who? Did Jesus choose Zacchaeus or did Zacchaeus choose Jesus? And here's the answer. Yes. Yes. Picture salvation as if you're walking through a door. And as you get ready to walk through, you look over the doorpost and you read John 1.12. But to all who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You read Matthew 10.32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before the Father. See, when you're faced with a decision, whether or not to receive Jesus, no decision is a decision. It's a no. We either say yes to Jesus or no to Jesus. We either receive him or, or reject him. But when you walk through the door, you turn around, the door of salvation, you turn around, you read John 15, 16, which says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You read John 6, 44, no one can come to the Father unless he draws you unto me. See, here's the reality. The reason I'm a Christian is not because I'm more spiritual than anyone. The reason I'm a Christian is not because I'm wiser than anyone. The reason I'm a Christian is because God called me and I responded. I had a friend one time really frustrated with his sister and he could say, how could she be so dumb not to choose Jesus? Maybe you've been there. You just love someone so much. You want them to come into the kingdom, right? And I said, you don't think you're a Christian because you're all that smart, do you? We were good friends. <laughs> he looked at me, he started to laugh. He said, well, I didn't mean it quite that way. It's God's grace, it's his mercy, it's his calling that gives us this opportunity to receive him. It's not our wisdom or our spirituality, it's our acceptance of who he is that allows us to walk with him. And then we read verse seven. This is, this is the crowd's response to this great moment. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I mean, remember, Jesus is their hero. <laughs> They're on their way to the Passover and their hero has just fallen off his pedestal. First of all, he invites himself to someone's house and then he invites himself not just to any person's house, but this tax collector, this sinner's house, and he has fallen. They understand that, that, that what he's doing is, is inviting uh, Zacchaeus really into this table fellowship with him, this intimate relationship with him. And what they're going to discover is that it's just as Jesus is able to touch a leper and not get leprosy, he's able to hang around sinners and not be tainted by their sin. But Jesus is always the influencer, not the one influenced. And there's something to be said there about our reaching people for Christ. Jesus didn't have to become like those that he was reaching in order to reach them. He didn't have to take upon their weaknesses and identify in that sense. He bore their sin, which we'll look at in a minute on the cross, all of our sin, but he didn't, he didn't take on those actions of sin in order to be our savior, and they had no con concept of this. What a contrast between this crowd and Jesus. 
And Zacchaeus' response is remarkable. Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I want you to picture this with me. Here's Jesus and Zacchaeus going to Zacchaeus' house and, and the grumbling of the people, this, this, this complaining is so loud that Zacchaeus hears it. I mean, how embarrassing. How embarrassing. And what Zacchaeus does is so remarkable because he doesn't cower. He, he, he doesn't puff himself up either. He witnesses. Now, how long, by the way, had just had Zacchaeus known Jesus? Moments, right? I mean, we don't know, but probably as long as it took from the tree to his house. I've heard people say, I can't be a witness to, for Jesus. I don't know enough. How much, of Zacche how much of, did Zacchaeus know of Jesus? Enough. He knew enough to turn to them, and, and, and so they could hear it say that Jesus, look, Something has happened inside of me. And it's not just lip service. I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. Uh, uh, that's generosity. And, and I'm going to give four times what I've cheated people back to them in restitution. Now, by the way, the law of Moses didn't even require four times as much. This man is so touched by the love and power of God that, that his life is being transformed. D.L. Moody taught restitution is a good proof of a change of heart. This is what we're seeing here. What a quick witness Zacchaeus becomes. Zacchaeus wanted the people to know that his time with Jesus is changing his life. Now it's important to note that Zacchaeus isn't saved because he did good things. He's doing good things because he's saved. Zacchaeus is a changed man. And listen to Jesus' declaration in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he's also a son of Abraham. Now, by the way, this was words of encouragement for Zacchaeus, but a very gentle rebuke to the crowd. Because <laughs> every single one of them as a, as a Jew was a son of Abraham biologically. Abraham, we find his story in Genesis. And, and God calls him out. The, the nation of Israel is birthed out of the descendants of Abraham. Abraham's the one who God says, your descendants will be like this, the stars in the sky and the sand on the beaches. They're going to be numerous. And many of the Jews saw that as just sort of a biological promise. But we know through the teaching of the New Testament, it was a spiritual promise as well. And so what Jesus isn't simply saying is, hey, look, he's a son of Abraham biologically like you. He's saying, no, he's a son of Abraham because he's received me. And so there were biological sons of Abraham in the crowd who were not spiritual sons of Abraham. They might walk in the nation of Israel, but they don't have eternity to look for, to be with Jesus or God. And, and, and Zacchaeus is now saved. And you just wonder what's going through the grumbler's mind. Oh, ouch. Zacchaeus, wow, I'm accepted. A man who lived on the, on the, on the outside because he was a sinner is now very close to God. And Jesus ties all this into his mission, his purpose, why he came. Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
like a shepherd going off to find the lost sheep. Jesus seeks people who are spiritually lost, people who are far from God, but so close to God's heart. And we discover in this account that not only is this the mission of Christ, but if we're followers of Jesus, then it's our mission as well. It's our primary call. I've sat with many people who have tried to find God's perfect will for their life. There's many a formula to help you find that. And by the way, good luck. It's a journey in of itself, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I felt like God was leading me down one path often to sort of get me here so he could take me there. When we sort of allow ourselves to be in God's hands, he does a really good job of directing us when we follow God's perfect plan for our life. I can tell you what God's perfect plan is for your life right now, so you can stop looking, okay? If you're burdened by it, just sort of don't be burdened anymore. It's to know Jesus and make him known. Like, that's it. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home dad, whether you're in the workplace, whether you're a student, that's why God has you there. That's your, like, your primary, your secondary purpose. And by the way, listen to this, especially if you're a student, because I want your parents upset with me. You're there to be a student. If you're at work, you're there to get a job done. But your primary purpose is to live for Jesus. I have a friend of mine who just over a year ago got a new job, and he said, listen, this isn't a job I'm going to stay at forever. I just need it to make money for my family. Have you ever been there? It's just one of those, I just need money. He said, as soon as something better opens up, I'm probably going to head that direction. And a few months ago, something was sort of opening up somewhere. I said, what are you going to do? He said, you know, I just feel like God may have me here for a purpose. I said, well, I thought that wasn't the place for you. He said, yeah, but he started naming coworkers that were interested about Jesus and opportunities. And all of a sudden he had a spark in his eye. If you know my story, it took me back to my senior year in college when I was working at McDonald's and I wasn't really excited about it. It was the only place that would work with my, work with my uh, schedule at school. I was excited about the quarter cent big backs, but outside of that, I, I, the rest what really didn't excite me. And God really said to me in his word, he said, whatever you do, do is unto me. I thought, Lord, that's a pretty big thing. And I mean, I'm going to claim McDonald's for you. And he began to give me opportunities. I remember one day I was, came home and talked to my then fiance, Kristen. And I said, they're talking to me about maybe working me into a management position. I was getting close to graduation. She said, you're still going to be a pastor, right? Like you're not, are you really, are you? I said, no, but, but I have to say, I have to say, God's really used this place in my life. A primary mission is to know God and make him known, to, to share in Jesus' mission. We learn some other things from this account. See, the reality of it is just like Zacchaeus, we're all sinful. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all on equal footing at the cross. And people really have a trouble understanding that sometimes. They either see themselves as, well, I'm not as bad a sinner as the person sitting across from me. <laughs> or, or perhaps I'm a worse sinner than the person sitting across from me. And, and, and the reality of it is any finite sin against an infinite God has infinite consequences. We're all on equal footing at the cross. Right, church? Every single one of us. I just wanted to start with the encouraging note. <laughs> we also learn that God still rewards those who seek him. Jeremiah 29, 13, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Remember, we only need to look to Christ for salvation. 
Like we don't need to climb a tree. We don't need to run. We've got the Bible. Anyone here at Crosswinds would like to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. We only need to, we need to look no further than Christ for salvation. We also learn that Jesus' desires have a relationship with each of us leading to salvation. A verse that I've just been mulling over in my mind for months now. You've heard me share it with you. 2 Peter 3, 9. For the Lord is not slow to fulfill this promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That verse really touches me, because there are days where I say, Lord, why don't you come back today? And yet the reality of it is, I'm so thankful he didn't come back before I said yes to him. How about you? I'm thankful he didn't answer that prayer for over 2,000 years because at any moment he could have answered and I, I wouldn't know Jesus. And so when I'm tempted to say, why don't you come back today? I sit back and go, oh, I know because of that neighbor I've been praying for and that, that friend I've been praying for, that family member I've been praying for. It's a staggering reality that the God of the universe desire, desires to meet with us. Staggering. We also learn that in Christ we can be made pure. Remember what Zacchaeus' name meant? Pure. And he certainly wasn't living up to his name, was he? <laughs> Yet we find in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Please take a moment and think about that verse, the truth of that verse. But Jesus, who had never sinned, it says became sin. He, he took our sin upon him. And a great exchange takes place in Jesus. He took our sin and bore it for us on the cross, and he gives us his righteousness. How many of you believe we get the good end of that deal? He took our sin and he died in our stead. Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That he took our sin and died for it. That's why in Romans 8.1 it says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I, I live for Jesus not because I have to, not because I'm fearful. I don't have to be fearful of anything. Jesus already took my punishment. I do it because I get to. Because he is my savior, he is my Lord, he is my everything. And when he's not, and by the way, we still fail at times, right, Christian? All right, I'm the only one. But, 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 but he looks at me and I'm made righteous in him and he says, Craig, get up, let's do this thing. Stop pouting. Stop, stop condemning yourself. Stop listening to the world around you. Who cares what they say? Stop listening to the enemy. He's going to get his in the end. Stop listening to your own weakness, Craig. Stand up. My righteousness has covered you. You are mine. I am yours. Then lastly, and I'm sure there's many other lessons we can learn. When we come to Christ again, his mission becomes ours. That we... We, we, we fall in love with Jesus. His heart begins to build in us. And if you have the heart of Jesus, you can't help but be broken for those who, again, are far from, from God, but so close to his heart. I'm so thankful for a young missionary. He was five or six. If you know my story, you know this. He was five or six years old. He was a missionary in my kindergarten class. His name was Matthew. 
it was toward the end of the school year, and he invited me to a special week at his church called Vacation Bible School. You've been around church, you, you may have heard of that. He invited me there, and he said, would you come? He was, a, he was an everyday missionary in the kindergarten class, and my parents said yes. For some reason, they, they weren't Christians, but they let me go, and, and I came to Christ because that young missionary invited me. I mean, God does crazy things when you're on mission with him. I remember in high school, we were at this youth group party, you know, and so there's a whole youth group was there, and I was a part of this large youth group. The house was packed, and a few of my friends found this, this girl who was new to our youth group by the name of Cindy, and she, she was struggling with tons of stuff, and we said, let's get somewhere where we can talk, and the only place we could find, this is the honest to God truth, was a bathroom. And we went in the bathroom and I can still picture myself sitting on the tub and she was like sitting on the toilet and someone was sitting on the, I mean, what a weird thing, right? Only God, right? And, and, and Sydney just bore her heart open. And me and my three friends, we were able to lead her to Christ. Now, by the way, none of us can save anyone. Like you're not a savior. How many, if you have my temperament, that's really disappointing. Like I really would. But none of us can say, but we can lead people to Jesus who can, right? And there Sydney came to Christ in a, in a bathroom at this youth group party. Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus says, come. Come on a journey with me. If you've yet to place your, your faith in Christ, to, to believe, he says, why not this morning choose to walk with me. He, he says to all of us who have made that decision, every single believer, he says, if, if you're in me, be on mission with me. Reach people with my love and message. May the people outside the walls of this building know that there's a God in heaven. And so I don't know where you find yourself as we venture into 2020, but I remind you it's a new year, it's a new decade. And God is calling you. He's calling me. He sees us. He's with us. He asks us to journey with him. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I just encourage each of us, let's take that next step with him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for just the great privilege of being able to gather here this morning and to celebrate you. God, I understand in a, in, a, in a group this large that we're all in different places in our journey with you, but there may be some here this morning who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, and I just encourage them, why not this morning make that decision? To receive you as the Lord and Savior of their life, to accept the fact that when you died on the cross, you did so for, for their sins and all of our sins, and that you wouldn't make a great exchange with them. You take their sins and you place your righteousness upon them. That they can walk the path that you've created all of us to walk with you. God, I pray for those of us who made that decision. God, would you help us be everyday missionaries in the ordinary mission field you place us in, whether it be our homes, our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, Lord God, throughout this region, different parts of the world. God, will we just give ourselves to you? And thank you, God, that you're the God who notices. You're heading to the Passover, went through Jerusalem, but you notice Zacchaeus and you notice each and every one of us. 
You love us so dearly. You love us so completely. Lord, fill us with your love to love those around us. In your name, I pray. In Jesus' name, the great lover of our souls. Amen.